been here a little bit. Um, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been there since August, what we're calling the Gospel of the Kingdom, because we believe that this is the itinerant sermon that Jesus preached as he traveled around Galilee and as he traveled, traveled around the Decapolis. Um, he's kind of going around and preaching this sermon on a regular basis. And if you have um, heard a little bit of a theme even in our morning, it's teach us, O Lord, teach us, O Lord. And so um, if you see the parallel passage of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11, um, he gives a very similar prayer to his disciples as they ask him, teach us to pray. How is it that your disciples are called and that you want us to pray? So Jesus is going to lay that out for us today, but um, I will echo the words of a, uh, a, a saint that is now worshiping in, in trueness in heaven right now, Dallas Willard, that if we, um, if we ignore the order of the Sermon on the Mount, it is to our own peril. So let me just review a bit on where we've been. If you'll remember, when we started this thing, it was blessed are you. If you want to live the good life, if you want to live the blessed life, Jesus lays that out for us with, uh, the, sermon, with, the, with the Beatitudes, right? It's a, it's a life of human flourishing inside of God's kingdom. So how is it that we will flourish as humans in God, inside of God's kingdom? It's blessed are you who are persecuted. Not avoid persecution. Blessed are you who, who mourn. Blessed are you who, who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? These are the things that, that Jesus tells us is how we can flourish inside of God's kingdom. He made that clear and he solidified all of that by saying you must have a righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the ones that were going around. These were the ones that we would have looked to and gone, man, their marriage is awesome, is legit. I want a life like theirs. God has clearly blessed them. Look at how they lived. And yet he says it's got to be better than that. Well, how are we going to have a righteousness that is better than the person that hasn't sinned in 20 years? They've created all these laws around the law so they won't break the law. How can we have a life and a righteousness that's better than that? And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter with, again, six, you have heard it said, but I tell you statements. You remember those? And so he, he, he knocks us down one at a time. If we don't think that we are, we're in trouble or in peril of not having a righteousness better than the Pharisees, or perhaps we're depending upon our own goodness, Jesus knocks us down level by level by saying, great, you don't murder, but how about your anger issues that you don't want to talk about? Great, you haven't committed adultery, but how about the way you look at women or the way that you look at men? We're not talking about. That's what he goes after. He's going after the heart. And as he goes after our hearts, we, we will never get chapter 6 and 7 with the Sermon on the Mount if we don't get chapter 5. He is going to the inner places of our lives, and as he does so, he's going to start getting into not just the inner sins, the sins that we're committing in our heart, but he's also going to get to our motives, right? And Josue kicked us off last week when we start talking about, hey, be careful that you don't practice your righteousness before others, that you don't do, that you don't give to the poor so that you will be seen by others, that you don't pray so that you will be seen by others. It's not a sin to go pray in public. It's not a sin. So I've heard that a lot whenever I've asked people to pray in public, like whether it be in groups or whether it be up here, whatever it, may, whatever it may be, over however many years of ministry I've done. It's like, man, would you pray? Oh, well, I like to go into my closet and pray. You know, Jesus said to go into your closet and pray. Yeah, he did. But that misses the point because he, he prayed publicly uh, throughout his ministry, right? So it's not a sin to pray publicly. That's why we do it on a pretty consistent basis, and we'll end our time doing the same here today. Now, he is getting to our motives that you can do all the right things but for the wrong reasons and still be in trouble, still be truly in peril. 
So that's what he's getting at as we turn the page into chapter 6, and we'll continue on that in regards to how is it that we should pray. So as he flips that for us, right, this is uh, truly uh, where we're headed today, that we are, we are going to be a people that need to understand that prayer cannot be assumed in our spiritual life. It cannot be assumed, especially in this day and age, when we are more, uh, we are more prone and more excited about sharing our lives, maybe even practicing our righteousness before our social media audience. That is the world that we're in. That if we, it, it didn't happen if we didn't post about it. And so the chapter 6 is going to hit us right where we live uh, in the best possible way. All right, so I'm going to do things a little bit different today. As I told our, um, our, little, our little huddle earlier, I'm going to preach un sermon piquito, uh, which means a small sermon. Um, and, and, and those of you that know me are laughing on the inside a little bit right now. If Kristen Madigan was in here, she would have thrown up her hands and left because she knew I was going to be a liar. But I'm going to really try not to lie today in saying smaller, shorter sermon because we're going to end our time praying through the Lord's Prayer together. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to participate a whole lot more, so um, it'll be good. But just, just trust me in this journey. So we're going, to, we're going to go through the sermon, and then we're going to apply the sermon together. All right, so that's where we're headed today. So first, what is the first thing? Like if there was a, like teach us to pray, and we're asking Jesus how to pray, how is it, and what are the things that he's going to tell us to do? Certainly, if you're new to prayer, um, Jesus is going to tell us, hey, there's a, a right way to pray, and there's a wrong way to pray. You believe that Jesus would tell you that, that your prayers, you're not doing it right? Because he does. That's actually where he starts, is that you're not praying the right way sometimes. And so he, he's going to clarify for us how not to pray. And that really is, I'm going to read 5 through 8, not just 7 through 8. So, so come with me into the scriptures here as we read 5 through 8 to help us understand how is it that we should not be a praying people. Look at what he says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Remember that from last week? This word hypocrite is, a, is an actor, someone who's pretending to be better than they are or pretending to have it together for an audience. Right? So when you pray, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They're, they're, it's a play actor. They're, they're just praying so to be seen. Don't be like that. Truly I say to you that you have received, uh, they have received their reward. That when we get applause from people, that God says, well, that's your reward, that's all you get, right? We don't understand that there's a reward in heaven awaiting us. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And now for today's text, verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And then he'll go into the famous Lord's Prayer, which is probably more aptly named the Disciples' Prayer. Because he's teaching us how to pray. But nonetheless, how is it that we are not called to pray in the Scripture? His instruction on prayer starts out with what not to do, and that is for our good. So let's just think about a few things that he talks about. Number one, this is uh, the first thing not to do. Pray for people's approval. So you don't start heaping up or using language that you don't use in a normal situation. Like there are language, there are words that we use in prayer that we don't use in regular situations, don't we? Um, so like nourish is one, like when we pray for our food, we don't ever hear like, hey, I hope that, that food nourishes you today, child. 
That's not what we use. We don't use that language. So what he's saying is, like, quit pretending in some kind of prayer language that it's going to be different, um, like, in regards to the, the, the vocabulary that you're using. So instead, your audience is God. He knows everything about you, including what you need. So go to him vulnerably because he can see every part of your heart, every part of your life. It is, uh, it's truly this, that like, again, it's not that prayers, all prayers must be done in private because Jesus prays in public. If you look at John 11, he prays in public when Lazarus is in the grave and he says, I'm not praying for my sake, I'm praying for all their sake. And he says it out loud, he's instructing even in his prayer in that moment, right? Um, so people's approval though is a powerful drug, is it not? So if you're a student in this room, the, the approval of your peers is a powerful drug. It is something that you will deny like who God wants you to be so that you can get the approval of others. And that doesn't end when you're in middle school or high school. That doesn't end when you go through college. That continues on through the decades that you will have the tendency to deny what you really believe, to deny your convictions about who Jesus truly is uh, for the approval of your peers, whether that be at work now, whether that be your boss now, that we don't, that all of a sudden that, that, that language of blessed are you who are persecuted, pushed out of the synagogues on behalf of me doesn't really start to play when we're an adult. We just think peer pressure and things like that happen in middle school. But no, we fall victim to it even deep into adulthood. That people's approval is an addictive, an addictive drug. So when our audience is God alone, what he is really causing us to think about is that Jesus' approval is sufficient for us. His approval is sufficient for us. Number one, that that's truly our audience is God. Two, this is one way to not pray, that we would not neglect prayer. Jesus assumes his people are a praying people. Verse 7, and when you pray, God is calling us to be a people that pray on a consistent basis. Um, like too often do I hear, man, I've, I've, I've gone to work, I've cared for my children, I've, I've even cooked dinner today, I've done this, and this is kind of my basic and normal life. Your rhythms are just so busy. And if that's us, we are too busy not to pray. And so at some point, we've got to put our priorities uh, where they land, and then if we're saying we don't have time to spend time with the Lord, then we've got to flip some things, right? That's like getting in the car and going to California, and you have a quarter uh, of a tank of gas, and you wonder why you run out like before you get to Columbus. Because you, you, you're going to be tired. You're going to be exhausted. You, your kids are going to wear you out. Your, your, your wife or your husband, husband is going is to grade on you if you have not spent sufficient time with your creator. He's assuming when you pray that we would do this on a regular basis. But when we run out of gas on a pretty regular basis, if we have not been with Jesus, it's no wonder that we've run out of gas and become cranky lance. Nobody wants that guy around especially not my wife or my kids, but that's usually the result. I've not flipped it. I've gotten too busy in my day. I've focused on too many different things, and I've not flipped it. I've gotten almost to Columbus and run out of gas and wondered, why is it that I didn't make it to California? Because I have not the sufficient resources, because I've not spent the sufficient time with my creator. That's why. Third, Right, So it, I'm just talking about the things that he's talking about of how not to pray. Number one, don't neglect it. Or number two, the, number, the first one is our audience is God himself. The third one is repetitive words Jesus calls pagan. So um, 
I'm going to say a couple of things about other religions. Don't, don't think about me as being a hateful person as much as I'm saying, let's be grateful that God is telling us that, that this is not the way for us. So, for instance, Muslims, as part of their five pillars of walking in the Muslim community, they have to pray five times a day. That is a requirement in order for their God to hear them. It is five times a day. There are other traditions, even within the Christian umbrella, that they would use a particular set of beads, and they would pray over and over and over and over again. So as if to say, the more that I say these words, maybe God will hear my prayer and answer my request. Jesus is calling those types of prayers pagan, not the ones that we would repeat in perseverance to get God's attention, like, Lord, please answer me. I'm pleading with you over and over again. That's not empty. What becomes empty is when we just repeat them for the sake of repeating them, for the sake of just simply going through the motions. You see, that would be a wrong way, and instead the right way would be approaching our God in verse 8 because he knows what we need before we even ask. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, verse 8, where he says, you know, you should pray like this. Pray trusting in your Father, knowing what you need before you even ask. That might tempt you to not pray at all. Does that do that for you? That's what it does for me. It tempts me not to pray at all because if you know what I need, why do I need to ask? Again, he's assumptive in his language. He says, before you ask. He doesn't dismiss you from asking, but he knows what we need, doesn't he? Um, it's kind of like a parent, right? Um, like so all of us, not all of us, but, but many of us have had these, these, these stages with our children um, where you, they, they get their independence, right? And they're in the kitchen and they're trying to pour milk into their cereal and you watch from the other side of the kitchen, right? And you go, hey bud, you need help with that? Nope, I got it, I got it. I'm going to take my big jug of milk, and I'm going to pour just the right amount into this container of cereal. And I'm, I'm going to do it with ease. You don't know this, but I got this, Dad. Okay. All right, man. Well, you go, right? And you, you as a parent, watch your kid uh, dump the whole thing of milk all over the counter and all over the floor. Do you not? You, you know the mess they're about to make, but you let them do it. Why? Because you love them, and you want their development, and you want them to grow up. And so, and as a father or a mother, what you'll end up doing is that you'll come alongside your child, knowing what they need before they even ask. You come along your child, and not only do you then pour the sufficient amount in a new bowl of ice cream, you make it new for them, but you also clean up their mess. This is the Father's posture for us when we go to him in prayer, or when we go, I'm good, I don't need it yet. Yeah, I know what you need before you even ask. Okay, Dad, I need you now. Will you help, help me? Been here all along, man. Been here all along waiting for you to, to ask me. That is the posture of our Father who is in heaven waiting from the throne of grace, waiting to hear you reach out to him through prayer so that he may stoop to your level, encourage you along the way. It's all right, man, you, messed, you made a mess of the, of the kitchen. It's all good. We're going to make this better together. That's the heart of the Father and his posture truly in this whole thing, right? That the creator of all things, the king of the universe, the calmer of the storms and the seas, the provider of the shekels and the mouth of the fish. Y'all remember that one? You remember when, when they needed some, some tax money and Jesus goes, man, look, here's the deal. Go to the sea, catch that first fish, and there's going to be a shekel in there in the mouth. Oh, you can't just give it to me? It's not in your pocket? Can you just make it appear in your pocket? No, I want you to be obedient to the things that I think you think are going to be crazy. This is what's going to happen. 
So get that shekel out of that fish's mouth and go pay the taxes for both of us. That God is calling us to ask him for help. The healer of the sick, the resurrector of the dead, the teacher that came with authority, the forgiver of sins. It is he whom invites us to come close to him, to see him for who he really is, and to seek him for our deepest needs. Yes, before we even ask. That's how good and sovereign and right he is. That's how not to pray, and that's a good little uh, preview of how to pray, that we would trust him even before we would get to the point of knowing what we need. He knows. He absolutely knows. And so not only just is it like how not to pray, but now he's going to tell us how to pray. And that's where we get into these six phrases that he helps us with about um, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer as it's become, come to know. So he doesn't tell us what to pray. He teaches us how to pray. And that's a big difference. He doesn't just give us the words of prayer. He gives us a structure of prayer. So when we think about that, he is showing us the kind of prayer which not only honors him, which not only honors his father, but also for our spiritual nourishment. So I just said that we don't use the word nourish, and then I just use the word nourish. Welcome to my own hypocrisy. Here we go. And so we do this, right, as God's family, that this is the only time, by the way, this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus says, our Father. He says a lot, my Father. He says a lot, your Father. But when he teaches us to pray, it's the only time that he says, our Father. Why? Because he wants us, if there's the first thing that he wants us to know, number one, we have a Father in heaven, not a boss, not a politician, not a president, not anybody else. We have a Father, one who cares for us like our fathers should have cared for us as humans. And if he didn't, that's going to be a, a huge barrier for us to see God as good. But nonetheless, Jesus is assuming for us that we have some understanding of what a father should be or could be. He says he is our father, but also we're not in this alone. He's our father. If you call upon the name of Christ, we're together. We're together in this, that we have common needs, and that's what communion will, will hopefully flesh out for us, that we have a common need to be reminded of our constant need for grace. And we're not in this alone. As isolated as we've been for the last however many months, 10 or 11 months, no, we are not alone. If you're online and you're watching this and you haven't been out of your house in a real long time, you are not alone. It's our Father. We're together in these needs. We're, in, we're together in, in ascribing worship and honor to the holy name of God. Yes, we are together. So, there are these six phrases, right? As we move past our Father, there's six phrases in two movements that I think are easy to understand or remember when we start thinking about this. They're, the first three are for his namesake, okay? The first three are for his namesake. The second three are for our needs. Uh, one commentator said, for his glory and for his generosity. Both of those are good, but like for his namesake, and then what is it that our needs truly are. So let's just break these down, and then we're going to pray through them together in our little pods of, of families or, or, or chairs or whatever it may be. If you're alone, you can do this alone. It'll be fine. Right? So his name and our needs. Let's look at these phrases briefly, and then again, we'll pray through them. So look, our Father in heaven, which we've talked about, he's, he's both near uh, as a father and yet above in heaven. And now he says this, first thing, hallowed be your name. Now again, hallowed is not a word that we use a whole, a whole lot, but if you, if you look at this, this is a command 
to God. So Jesus is saying, command God, plead with him in such a way that it's forceful enough to say, hallowed be your name. In other words, saying, make your name holy, sanctify it, set it apart for what it truly is. And we can hear that and go, well, isn't God's name already holy? It is, but what do we do with it? And that's the, that's the point of Jesus' prayer. Do we make God's name holy? Is his name holy in our hearts, in our speech, in our posture, in our scrolling, and whatever our habits are, are we setting apart the name as holy? As we, are we setting apart? We are all baptized believers, or we, we, we should be for following Jesus. If we are baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, then that name that we're baptized, immersed into, means something for how we live life. Hallowed, make your name holy in our lives, O Lord. Make it holy. Make it mean something. Make it be so high and above everything else that I would pursue that it would have honor and respect and glory in our speech, in our spending, in our socializing, whatever it may be. Holy, hallowed be your name. He goes on again with the first uh, phase of this, of your name. Now your kingdom come. Now you want to talk about a political prayer. This is it right here. He's rebelling against Caesar, which will end up costing him his life. Y'all know that he is, at the end of Jesus' life, which we'll look at in Lent and in Good Friday, it is a political rebellion that they think he's under, that he's not going to pay taxes, that he's telling other people that, that he's the king and not Caesar. It's all about treason and everything else. This is a political prayer that he's calling all of his people to personalize for, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Again, your kingdom, no other kingdom will do. No other kingdom will do. No one deserves the loyalty that our Father in heaven deserves. There's no one else's kingdom, not my own, not anybody that I voted for or didn't vote for, not anyone. Instead, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom, not mine, not his, not hers. Do we emphasize that in our prayers? Are we, are we longing for God's kingdom to come to earth, the place where what he wants done gets done? That's what Dallas Willard, again, would ex help us explain about the kingdom. It's where what God wants done gets done. That's what we're talking about with the kingdom. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is the third phrase, right? It's parallel to God's king, uh, kingdom coming, but it's not just his reign and his rule. It's also his grace to give us the understanding of the why. It's your will. It's your desires, and when we disciples, when we, though the students of Jesus, pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we are surrendering our desires and our will to his. Do we do that in prayer? Do we go, Lord, I just want all these things. Would you help me get all these things? Or are we saying, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The place where you have erased pain, the place where you will erase uncertainty, the place where you will wipe every tear away, Lord, as it is in heaven, so let it be in my heart. As it is in heaven, so let it be in Richmond, in Katy, in Sugarland, in Rosenberg, wherever we are. As it is in heaven, Lord, bring your will and bring your kingdom. Don't just bring it out there to the political places. Lord, let it start in my heart. Let it start here. Then let it flow out into hands and feet. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the name of God. And then we get into our needs. 
We get into our needs next when he says, give us this day our daily bread. What God provides for today is enough for the student of Jesus. That today's daily bread is enough. Like um, This is a, a great picture when he's saying this to help remind us, especially in the book of Matthew, and that was just like the Israelites with manna. If they gathered too much manna from the earth, what would happen? It would rot out. They would have to go back out again the next day. Their daily bread would be provided for them. It is a picture not just to remind us of this being a normative experience for the people of God for all time, but for us to be reminded that in a world where uh, our economy is still thriving in so many different ways, in a world where we have, you know, when we're struggling, we say we're dipping into our savings accounts, that we have enough to go around, most of us, that we forget that the daily need for sustenance that God is calling us to be dependent upon him. When God's children are satisfied with his exact provision for our most core needs, even basic sustenance, our souls are free to be satisfied in God alone. And as basic of a need of bread is, so is our basic of a need to be reminded that we need forgiveness. I won't sit down on this too long today because Jesus gives commentary to one phrase in the Lord's Prayer, and that will be next week. Um, It's kind of interesting to me that in God's sovereign plan for our preaching schedule, he would put an entire sermon based on forgiveness after our inauguration as a country. So we'll come together and we'll just talk about what Jesus' mandate is for forgiveness next week. But nonetheless, as basic of our need is... Uh, in regards to uh, uh, bread on a daily basis, so is our need to understand our forgiveness. And forgive us our debts, our sinful, our, our debt of sins, as also we forgive those who have sinned against us. As a basic of a need again is bread, so is our need for the grace to be forgiven. John Stott says this about forgiveness. Again, I don't want to put too much into this, but he says this. Once our eyes have have been opened up to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear, by comparison, extremely trifling. If, on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves we have minimized our own against God. And so we'll talk more about that next week. And then finally, the last phrase, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is not as though God can tempt us, but the same word for tempt and test is the same in the New Testament. So Jesus' disciples depend on God to deliver them from the circumstances where we will be tempted to disown him, where we'll be tempted to accuse him, to doubt him, um, and to go for more immediate uh, and lesser lasting pleasures, right? These are the six phrases that God is inviting us into to understand how to pray. So here's what I want to do as we end our time. Um, We're going to go into communion in a little bit, but I want us to just spend some time praying through these things. I'm going to give it like 30 seconds, and then I want you to give it like a minute. Okay, so that would mean like in just like 10 minutes, we will have prayed through the Lord's Prayer, and I don't know how many people are in here. Let's call it 100 or so. Man, 100 of God's people praying the Lord's Prayer together. God has more than sufficient resources to hear us, much less the millions of others that are doing something similar today. So I'm going to pray, and then um, I'll go phrase by phrase, and I'll give you a little bit of time to pray. But you're going to have to be quick over there because we're going to move along, okay? And then, again, this is going to be an exercise we do in our neighborhood groups as well. So if you don't get all your hearts out, that's fine. You save it for neighborhood group for later, Okay? So look, here we go. All right, let me pray, 
And then we're going to go through this together. I'll give you a little bit of time as we pray through them. Our Father in heaven, we are asking, Lord, that you would make your name holy. Uh, when we ask that you would make your name holy, uh, we're, we're just asking, Lord, would you set it apart in our own hearts as the, the name above all names? Help us in these things, O oh Lord. Now, would you pray together out loud if you feel it uh, in your own heart with your pod there, your family, however you want to do it. Give it some time. It's quiet in here. It'll be fine. We'll learn how to pray in quiet together. Give it some time to pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we've asked now for your name to be sanctified and set apart in our own lives, hallowed be your name. We also now pray that your kingdom come, Lord. Lord, I, I just confess that I, I would rather live for my own small kingdom than your grand sweeping kingdom because it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient to my agenda. It's inconvenient to my productivity. It's inconvenient to whom I want to love and not who you're calling me to love. It's inconvenient. And so, Lord, let me just start by saying, Lord, your kingdom come in my heart, much less in Richmond and Katy and Sugarland and Rosenberg and Fort Bend County and all around the world, that your kingdom come, your will be done. So now let's just pause and let's pray out loud, Lord, your kingdom come. So whatever stand in the way of that in our own families or our pods, Lord, I pray that we confess that boldly and also plead with you mercifully that your kingdom come. Let's pray now together in these things. Lord, when we pray your kingdom come, what, we, what we're confessing is that this isn't about our kingdom. It's also not about our little bitty church. It's about the kingdom. It's also about your will. It's about your effective will where you want done, uh, where what you want done gets done on the earth. And so we just ask God now, we plead with you now to just, like, if you need to root out in us things that we need to surrender to, that our will is not yet surrendered to your will, would you help us? Help us surrender those things to your will when we pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's pray that together now.
Lord, as we conclude this, this, this section of your prayer where we're just giving you praise, you, we want your things to be done on the earth. We want your kingdom and your will and your name to be holy. Now we, we shift gears and go, we are a needy, dependent people. If there's one sin in my own heart that cries out above all others, and that is to just do it by yourself. Just be independent of God because that is, again, inconvenient for me. So, Lord, for my own sake, much less for the sake of our church, may we be a dependent people. May we not act independently of your spirit, of your will, of your timing, but may you give us a dependence upon you that would be able to cry out to you with confidence, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, let your provisions be sufficient for our soul. So now we pray now, Lord, give us the day our daily bread. Our Father, free our souls to be satisfied in your love and in your love alone. And as we are satisfied in that love, Lord, let us not forgive. Let us not forget that we are a forgiven people, deeply indebted to our Father, who sent his son Jesus to die for us, not just to die, but to live for us, to die for us, to be buried for us, and then to raise again from the dead. And now the, the God of all creation ascends far above that you have, and, and reminds us that you have forgiven us through your word and through your spirit. So, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, ha- who are our debtors that have sinned against us, Lord. So let us be reminded that we, uh, of all people, that we could uh, agree with Paul that we are the chief of sinners against you. And that would then encourage us, fuel us to then forgive others. Help us with our remembering and our doing of forgiveness, Lord. Lord, I pray now that you would just allow us to pray through that honestly, openly with you, knowing that we've probably got bitterness, we've probably got anger, we've probably got some sort of uncertainty in our hearts or, or, or some accusation against someone else, Lord. Help sort, that, sort all that out in these coming moments, Lord. We, we ask and we plead with you as we pray this together.
now as we finish up the Lord's Prayer together. Lord, we don't want to be a people that tempt you or that are tempted into accusing you. We don't be a people that are, are tempted in deserting you, um, to accuse you, to test you, or to run to lesser things. So Lord, we, we plead with you that when we pray this, we would, we'd have our minds open um, of all the ways that you have created circumstances for us where we're not tempting you, that we'd be grateful as a result of this prayer, but that we would plead with you nonetheless to lead us not into circumstances where we would be tempted to test you or desert you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us now, Lord, as we pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And why do we pray these things? Because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.